23 days away, your Jordan year or your LeBron year, number of days from college basketball. I cannot wait. Brad cannot wait. No one can wait. It's just keeps getting closer by the day. Jeff Goodman's tweeting waivers out and getting me all excited, Brad. It is, it, you, you can smell it in the air, man. It's unbelievable. Is it bad that I'm still scarred from last year and I feel like at, you know, the drop of a hat, we could lose the whole season. I'm still a little guarded here. I, I think when we get to the 25th, it'll feel so much more real. But yeah. as of right now, I mean, we're sitting there on uh, pins and needles every time we open up our phones. Yeah, I think one of the interesting things, and don't want to dive too far deep onto this, but it's just like college football just needed to get to the starting date. And once it did, like everything just kind of fell in line. Um Whereas I feel like with, with college basketball, there's this sense that like, oh, well, you know, randomly in the middle of, you know, December, like, you know, there might just be like too many cases and everybody shuts down. And like, I don't, I don't really think that would happen. Like, I, I think when you look back at March, what happened was essentially no one was able, you know, to be prepared for what was happening nowadays, right? Like we know, regardless of how many cases there are in the country, we know what we need to do to play a game, which is test everybody a bunch. And that testing access is only going to improve. So I'm somewhat guardedly optimistic that, again, that, that we'll start. And that if we start, we're going to finish. We also are, like, running out of time to not start, right? Like, college football, by this point, had already went through its, like, oh, shit moment. You know, like, in, mid, in early August, when everyone was like, all right, we're really just not doing this, right? Like, we're already there. And it hasn't happened. And no one's even, even hinting that it will. It just seems like we're going to show up one day. We're going to start playing basketball games and... See, see what happens. Absolutely, and you know, one, you know, getting right into the Big Ten because you know, I don't, I don't understand how we do a conference preview. I feel like we could even go longer, and we're we're coming in at two hours with very limited chit chat or news before. Yeah, you you got the three man weave is keeping their conference stuff to around an hour. CBS is doing a half hour to listen to Barstool Riggs and Rob Doster did 45 minutes. I don't know where the time goes for us, but but we can't keep it under two hours. Right. I think I think the real problem we have is that we just can't we can't avoid getting into the nitty gritty. You know, we we can't we can't avoid you know sitting there and like really debating you know hardcore. Whether you know Joe Joe Toussaint is is gonna be able to lift the Iowa defense good enough to you know do something, or if you know you know what what are we getting from you know is Eric Hunter on track to start him? You know, like the, the, these are things that we we debate that everyone else just kind of gives like the the two minute because I could get I mean I could my conference previews I spend a lot of time on my Big Ten previews forty five hundred words, but like I could give you a like two minute summary of of each team in the conference and we could just be like, well, that guy needs to break out and move on. But that's not what we do. And if, if you don't like it, well, I don't know, go find another podcast or stick it on two X speed. I really think the two X speed is the way you solve us. Cause we talk slow enough. you can still get everything you're looking for. You get through it in an hour. I think, I think, I think the speeding up needs to go on the listeners end, not on ours. Well, why don't we get started with the most crucial question for Illinois? And that's, Who's going to be their ninth man, Jacob Grandison or or Coleman Hawkins? <laughs> I love it. No, so you're Illinois number one. 
I have Illinois number three. Um, give me in a minute why Illinois number one in this crowded pack in what should be the best conference in America. Well, so first, I just, I just wanted to bring this up. The, the Big 12, sorry, the Big 10 last year had 11 teams in the top 30 of Ken Palm. The 12th place team, Indiana, came in at 34, and they would have made the NCAA tournament. And you had the two laggards at the back, Northwestern and Nebraska, bringing up the rear. But that's like an incredible amount of both balance and gerrymandering. And, you know, because, I mean, these, these teams were good, right? Like Minnesota had, a, had an NBA player. Right, but they weren't a top 30 team. They, they squeaked their way up to 27. They, they weren't bad. I think putting record aside, they were probably more of like a top 50 team. Yes. That just got victimized by this brutal league. But like Rutgers was, uh, you know, inches away from like not getting a road win the whole year. And, and you know, th- that was a good team. Uh, Purdue was top 25 in Ken Palm. And they looked like crap half the time. So the Big Ten kind of conjured some of the Big 12 magic to get everyone, at, you know, in the top, top 35 there. Um, Bond, Illinois, quickly, why, why they would be I, all, just Just really quickly, like 20 seconds here from you. So I think if, you, if I could summarize it, I think one thing that is important is that teams do move up and down in Ken Palm in the NCAA tournament. Like, yes, the Big Time was really strong, but there would have inevitably been teams that would have jumped Minnesota and jumped, you know, Indiana and jumped, you know, some of these bottom, you know, bottom Purdue when those teams were sitting at home in the or in the NIT, and you know, a team goes on a Sweet Sixteen run like Oregon. I remember a couple years ago, really skied in Ken Palm. So there are some things that that screw it up. You know, like for instance, Michigan was the best team in the Ken Palm era in terms of they had the mo- they they were the first team in the Ken Palm era to not to finish top twenty in Ken Palm and not win twenty games. And part of that, not having enough games to do it by not playing a conference tournament or tournament. But I do think a little bit of what you were speaking to was just simply not having those final data points. But again, 100% agreed. It was it was definitely you know uncanny the ability of the middle and bottom of the Big Ten, with the exception of Nebraska and Northwestern, to uh, stand out in in the most influential rating system in college basketball. So, so I think the the main reason here to be bullish on. Uh, Illinois, and you know, I'm not super comfortable with them, number one. They, they were kind of the um, team I was most comfortable with, you know, out of Iowa, Wisconsin, Michigan State, so on. But I, I think you really have to be encouraged by the defensive improvement that Illinois made, mostly because of the addition of Kofi Coburn in the middle. So they go from sub-100 defense in 2019 to 35th in defense in Camp Bomb, um, mostly because of of that Coburn addition. And so, you know, this was a team that was top top 30 in Ken Palm. They're bringing back, there are two stars here with Io DeSunmu and uh, Kofi Coburn, two guys who could be all Americans. I think Io is going to be on most everyone's either first, second, or third team for all American. He's a dynamic two-way guard, combo guard. They have a veteran point guard in Trent Frazier. They have, extreme depth you know this is one of the the deepest teams in terms of quality depth 
in the entire country where you're bringing a former starter off the bench in uh, Bashanas Vili. You have two top 50 recruits coming off the bench, waiting their turn without a Miller and Cabello. And, you know, Miller couldn't end up starting, adding that scoring pop off the bench. So they have plenty of, I mean, they have so much depth in the backcourt. And then they have a few uh, really intriguing rolls of the dice where you have Austin Hutcherson, who could be the next great uh, D2 or a, or a D3 to D1 player um, in, in, in the mold of the Zach Hankins and, and the Max Stress. Um, very, you know, very accomplished shooter, good size in the wing. And I, you know, I've seen a lot of people rave about Coleman Hawkins, the freshman stretch four off the bench, who, who might not, not even be in the rotation. Or he, he, you know, as, as I uh, alluded to earlier, he, you know, he could be ninth or tenth in this rotation. So this team has shooting, has dynamic guard play. It has a defensive monster in the paint. It has front court depth with two former starting centers with Coburn and uh, Bashanas Vili. You have the backcourt depth. You have young guys who can make a jump. Uh, I think this team has everything that you could really want. Yeah, no, I buy that. I think when you look at, like, assembling a roster in terms of building a championship-caliber team, I think we would both agree that this this team very much mirrors the way that we would want to build a roster. I think both of us would want more shooting, based on what, what I know about about our basketball mentalities, but, you know, athleticism, several ball handlers, you know, good recruits, but not, you know, not five stars who are going to go one and done, you know, returning one, you know, very experienced star and one who was, was terrific as a freshman. Like they're built like that. I, I agree. My concern is that they feel, you know, is this too much of a jump? I mean, this was this was a team that won a good number of Big Ten games, right? Like they 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 went up to thirteen and seven, um, but they also had one of you know they did, they also were you know only thirtieth in Ken Palm, they were thirty eighth in offense, thirty fifth in defense, and it's not like they're just running it back. They lose two two really important players from this team, and Andres Feliz and Alan Griffin. Griffin was their best shooter on a team that really struggled to shoot it from deep. Griffin not only led the team in percentage by shooting 41%, um, but he also made more threes than Trent Frazier. He made 47 threes to Frazier's 46, despite playing far fewer minutes. So um, those are significant losses. I mean, quite frankly, if you got from Adam Miller, let's say, because I think he's probably the, you know, I think he probably starts right away. I, I wouldn't be you know, surprised if it goes another direction, but I wouldn't, I also think I would pencil in, in, in Miller here. If you got 11, five and three and 46% of the field from that dude and, and good defense, like that would be as good as you could possibly hope for. And that's what you got from, uh, Andres Philly. So I think that to me is, is a major, major question mark. Cause like they are losing two really good rotation players that they have to replace. It's not like they're just plugging in Austin Hutcherson is like a, you know, as an in addition to what they already had. Now, again, I think the optimism is high with him. I think the optimism that they at least get some shooting from Jacob Grandison um, to 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 round out the rotation is there. And I think Trent Frazier will shoot it better than he did last year, right? Like Trent Frazier's not a twenty nine percent three point shooter, which is what he was last year. Um, but at the end of the day, like I'm just not sure when I look up and down this team that they are, you know, quite at that championship caliber level. And again, if 
if you get if you if you tell me that Austin Hutcherson has that like you know really high impact Max Struess Derek White level season, yes, now we're now we're talking game change. If you're telling me that Adam Miller is a top ten freshman in the country, which is possible. Now we're talking the game has changed. If you're telling me Andre Curbelo is one of the better freshmen in the country, which I would totally buy because I love Curbelo's game. We talked about him all the way back to FIBA last summer. Like, again, there's a ton of options for where this thing blows up, even Kofi having the sophomore jump. But, like, I'm not sure I'm not sure I'm buying any of them enough to separate them from two, I think, somewhat safer choices in Wisconsin and in Michigan State. Well, I mean, we don't necessarily – subscribe to this theory, but you hear this perpetuated across the college basketball landscape is that people don't like when, when teams bring everyone back. They say, oh, they can't improve. You know, we need to find the teams that just bring enough back. I mean, if you're one of those people, then how can you not pick Illinois? Right? Because you're bringing back your two best players. In terms of reinforcements with the great freshmen, a couple of really nice transfers. Yeah, Two of the best players in the conference. You, you have that NBA star power. Um, for those people, I don't see how, how you could turn down Illinois. And now, I, I, I refuse to believe that it is a bad thing to bring, bring your entire team back. Nothing, no graph, no metric will, will convince me otherwise. I feel like it's just so circumstantial. But um, in terms of, you know, Illinois versus Iowa and Wisconsin, um, two of the teams that I think, especially Iowa, that people are going to have winning the Big Ten. Um, I I think Illinois has some better wild cards. You mentioned Miller and uh, Curbelo being a wild card in 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 Hutcherson too. Um, the, you know they have guys with legitimate upside who could you know really surprise. Whereas I think Wisconsin's roster, especially, is a little more. Um, Looks a little more stable, right? I know a lot of people like those freshmen, but I think it, it, it's much easier to buy an Adam Miller or Austin Hutcherson kind of exceeding expectations of being a key piece on a great team than it is like Tyler Wall and Ben, ben Carlson for Wisconsin or in, in Iowa's instance like a Josh Agundale or Pat McCaffrey or something like that. Okay, no, I get that. I would say I would say just kind of off of that though, if I'm looking for teams that can win Big Ten championships, that can be national title level teams, I want teams that do something at an elite level. And Illinois didn't really do anything at an elite level last year. Like they were an elite offensive rebounding team. That's kind of it. Whereas like Iowa was an elite, elite, elite level offense, and they should get better in that regard by getting Bohannon in. And really, only losing Ryan Kreiner uh, from that group. So I'm I'm picking Illinois over Iowa just because I think the defense is like such a concern with with the Hawkeyes. But I think it's an interesting argument to to make of like when you're trying to project out teams going from good to championship level. What are you looking for? And I think in Iowa, there's something that that's there that isn't with with this Illinois team. So I have Illinois eighth. I don't know if. If I'm saying that they're championship level, I'm very confident in my top four nationally of Gonzaga, Villanova, Baylor, and Kansas. After that, for me, all hell breaks loose. I I think I would consider 
me having Illinois eighth as not a title contender. I, I, I think I would only call those top four teams title contenders because those teams, I think, are clearly a, a, a tier above the competition. I'm not saying Illinois can't win a title. Right. But I think when, when, when you're you know, dubbing someone a title contender, would they have to be in that top tier? So generally, I would say like the top 15-ish teams in the country for me would be like title contenders. Congratulations, Florida. <laughs> my, my number 15. All right. So should we move on to Wisconsin, who we both have number two? Yes. Wisconsin is such a tricky team um, because for a while there last season, I really wasn't sure that they were good. They had the really tough stretch in November when they were, uh, you know, still without Micah Potter, where they lost three straight games to Richmond, New Mexico, and NC State. And at that time, we really weren't sure if Richmond was any good. Um, they already lost the St. Mary's opener. You're like, all right, A, is this team going to get enough wins? And B, you know, where, you know, are, are, are these guys actually talented enough? And we had been kind of down on Greg Gard. And then... You know, they won They won the games they were supposed to win at home. They kind of traded home and road games for, you know, until February. And then February happened, and they just blew the F up, right? Like, they were crazy. They could not be stopped. They finished the season on the eight-game win streak to go from 6-6 six and six to Big Ten champions. That was pretty wild. They won some close games in that stretch. They won a four-point game at, Purdue, at home against Purdue. Eight-point game against Rutgers. They won't beat Michigan by seven. Two-point two win over Minnesota. Four-point win over Indiana. And they did it because, you know, really the chemistry clicked. Demetri- uh, excuse me. Kobe King leaves the team. You get this, you know, five-man group that starts playing together even more in um, Potter, Reavers, Ford, um, Davison, and Trice. Um, and then they were also cycling Brevin Pritzel, who made a bunch of big shots for them late in the year. And they just they just found the magic. And can they replicate that? That's the you know million dollar question. I think the really interesting statistic is the three point jump that those guys made in those final eight games. Um, Davison shot thirteen point four percent from th- um, better from three, or increased by thirteen point four points percentage points. So like he went from like mid thirties to like almost fifty percent during those final eight games. Uh, Potter went up by 10.8%. Trice went up by 8.4%. Like, we know those guys aren't 45-plus percent three-point shooters like they were in that stretch of the season. And if and when those guys come back to earth, there really wasn't a ton of room. Um, But at the same time, again, the chemistry is awesome. They're a run-it-back team from a team that won the Big Ten. They've got seniors all over the roster. And they bring in this freshman class, which isn't loaded with, like, massive name recruits. But are guys that people like people, you know, pe- people think that, you know, maybe the Davis brothers can make an impact. People like um, Stephen Crowell, who has been a surprise in camp next to Ben Carlson up front. Um, and they also have a younger guy in Tyler Wall, who um, was in the rotation as a freshman. So, again, this is not a Wisconsin team going to knock your socks off from a talent perspective, but they have six seniors. They're, you know, really experienced. And they're the defending champs. So a difficult team to crack. Again, they don't feel like a team that could really win a national title, but also like at some point 
they won a whole heck of a lot of games. Yeah, so for me, the most appealing things about Wisconsin, the veterans, right? They have all these seniors. You know, guys like Nate Reavers really emerged. That Trice Davison backcourt has played a lot of minutes together. They can both handle the ball. They can both hit shots. But I'm still disoriented from the whole Mike Potter experience. <laughs> this, he was like completely ineffective at Ohio State. But he was like a jump shooter. You know, he was trying to be like a stretch five. He, he, he just, you know, was, was, was nothing impactful at all. And he comes over to Wisconsin and. Chris was, Holman ran him off for JD Onladee, who got ran off the next offseason for. To TCU. And, and Potter, Potter was dominating. You know, it, I, I couldn't believe my eyes. He was one of the, the few true surprise players, right? Because there are players who have a breakout year, but you probably expected them to have a breakout, or like you could see them having a breakout. You know, Michael Potter, then a guy who we'll touch on toward the end of the podcast, uh, Myrian Jones. You know, those those are two of like the biggest biggest uh, shocking guys in the whole country. Um, I think a potential issue with this Wisconsin roster is that kind of Brevin Pritzel role. Like a guy who's like a two three type who can you know be be a spot up shooter, make a play some defense. I think they probably go with a lean four in the starting line. I think he can play more four than three in his career. Maybe we'll we'll see a jump from Tyler Wall or maybe they'll go with the three veteran guards with Anderson, Trice and Davison. Anderson's okay. I think he's te- technically a walk on he, he He's a fine backup point guard, uh, not not lighting the world on fire. Uh, so I've I've seen Carlson and Crowell play once, and I wasn't impressed really with either. Uh, they're both supposed to be stretch bigs. Um, didn't really have a presence around the basket, but I fully expect them, you know, when they're juniors or something, to uh, be be totally totally unrecognizable from the players I watched uh, for for D one Minnesota. You know, just being in this Wisconsin. Um, Wisconsin machine, um, and I, I know uh, Lauren Bowman, who a lot of people were very high on as a potential rotation guy, freshman point guard. He's on an indefinite leave of absence, so so we'll see when when uh, he comes back. But I think depth could be a concern if these freshmen don't hit right away. Um, and then who's going to be that kind of spot up shooter, wing type? You know, can it be Ford or? Uh, will they have to turn to one of the freshmen or, or a Tyler Wall to try to replace Pritzel um, alongside these two veteran guards and these two veteran bigs? So here's an interesting question for you before we move off of Wisco. Um, Micah Potter, even in that like late stretch, was still only playing 20 minutes a game. In that final eight games, he played 20.3 minutes per game. He only started three of those ball games, But he averaged in those 20 minutes 11.5 points, 6.5 rebounds, and a block while shooting 46% from three. So my question is, like, how do you how do you manage his minutes this year? Do you, do you still use him in that 20 to 25-minute game role? Because, I mean, again, per minute, he was perhaps the best player in the Big Ten in that final stretch. Per minute, he was putting up, like, Luca Garza-level numbers. That would be, you know, if, if, you, if, you, if, you, if you per 40 what he did, that would be 23... 13, two blocks, and 46% from three on two and a half makes per, or almost three makes per per 40. 
right? Like that's absurd. So do you expect Potter to stay in that, you know, 25 minutes max per game role? Or do you think he becomes a, you know, 30 plus minute of the game guy, or at least, you know, 28 in his, uh, in his senior season with the Badgers? I'm going to go with, he gets more minute. He gets a bigger role. And the, the main reason why I'm saying that is, I think just Wisconsin's roster construction, where I think you're going to need him on the court more, right? Because last year you, you had you had Pritzel stretching the floor as a senior. You had Ford at, at the four sometimes. I, I guess four most of the time. Um, so it's going to depend on if they can get enough shooting on the wing, if they can get enough quality play on the wing. Uh, because it looks like there are five best players, right? It would be Trice, Davis, and Ford, uh, uh, Reavers, and, and Potter. So if they can get a enough of a contribution to warrant going a little smaller, a little more modern, then I think maybe Potter could see you know 24 minutes a game or something. But based on where this roster is right now, I think they're going to need him to be playing full starters minutes. Agreed. And then one final note I had on Wisconsin was – it's interesting, you know, Wall is somebody that I think some people have penciled in as something of a breakout guy. He's going to get maybe more minutes this season. He could play three or four positions. I know they were even using him, like, occasionally as a small ball five when um, Michael Potter wasn't eligible. But his minutes waned down the stretch during that run. Once they found that, once they settled in to that rotation, he only played six, six, eleven, nine, eight, and four in his final six games of the season. Before that, he was, you know, regularly playing, you know, 15 to 18 minutes a game. Um, so I think that's that's an interesting thing as well, is how do you use a guy in Tyler Wall who is very versatile, didn't shoot it great, really struggled shooting the ball. Um, was only 7 for 18 from the free throw line, which is very concerning. Um, but seemed like he could do a lot of different things on the floor for you. Absolutely. And that's, uh, you know, he's, he's either one real experienced scholarship guy who's projected to come off the bench. So they're going to need a third need serious production for him. Unless, you know, if, if, if Carlson's good to go right away, then maybe uh, Carlson jumps him. Um, but overall, yeah, I, I, I Wisconsin at at number 12. I think they're pretty safe. I just don't think that they, they have the upside or even really the star power of that uh, Illinois team. Well, 12 is, like, very comfortable for that team. Agreed. Michigan State, who I picked to win the league, you picked them third or fourth? I believe I have them fourth, but, I, yeah, I have, I have them and Iowa back-to-back. Back, so. so give me why you're down on them. I'll give you why I'm high on them. Okay. Number one is point guard play. So we're going from Cassius Winston to Rocket Watts. Rocket Watts is not a point guard. He, he's a very good scoring guard. He, he can be explosive. He, he showed some flashes down the stretch last year. Uh, but he doesn't really fit in as the point guard with this roster. And then the question marks surrounding Josh Langford, where if, 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 if Josh Langford's good to go, then you know maybe this is too low for Michigan State because you know, he was a you know, key key player on some very good Michigan State teams could easily average double figures uh, and could relieve some of their potential uh, creation woes. But you know, he's, he's 
he's coming off missing the season. I'm also selling my uh, Joey Hauser stock. I think he's being really overrated. Um, he, he's a good shot maker. He can put the ball on the floor a little bit, attacking opposing four men with with his size and kind of above average uh, handling ability. Uh, but it seems like people are viewing him as like an all all Big Ten player, which I'm not ready to get behind right now. Um, and as as appealing of of a prospect as Aaron Henry is, they're gonna need him him to make a jump to to even reach the expectations that are being put upon him right now. Um, and kind of the inclination or the um, the idea that Foster Lawyer could be a big part of this team is very scary. Yeah, so I think the the lawyer buzz is really interesting, um, and I'm I'm sort of envisioning it in a similar way to um, the way Tom Tom Naren got so many minutes, where he wasn't you know one of the best five best players on the team, but he brushes something, and Izzo wanted really that defend. experience. Yeah, lawyer cannot really defend, um, but he can shoot the ball, which could be valuable for this group. Um, but it, yeah, there's some, some buzz there. There's some buzz, buzz that maybe, uh, AJ Hogard, uh, is able to, you know, break into the rotation as a freshman, big bruising point guard. Um, and that almost gives me some pause, either of them, because to me, the real appeal here is playing four guys who can create a little bit at once, one through four around a five man. I love the idea of Watts, Langford, Aaron Henry, Joey Hauser, one through four. I think, you know, Izzo's offense is not so, you know, ball screen driven that they need to be, you know, constantly having a point guard who can create like Cassius did. I think if you have a scoring combo in Watts, a guy who in Henry who is really good making, you know, making decisions, whether it's, you know, at the elbows or even in transition, you know, same thing with Hauser. He can create a little bit. Langford's definitely more of a pure scorer but he can handle the ball. I think there's a ton of appeal in that one through four. Um, and that's not even, you know, mentioning this front court, right? You have, you know, you're, you're sitting there going, how are we going to find a way to get minutes for Malik Hall, who is a, you know, fairly productive, you know, former top 75 recruit um, guy who, you know, can play the four, maybe even a little bit of small ball five uh, for you, you know, very solid player. They love Mady Sissoko, the, um, you know, high-level rim protector um, who, as a freshman who could kind of slot in in that spot. And if they want more experience, they can always go to um, Bingham, who is a you know, also a very good shot blocker but doesn't do a ton in terms of his offensive game. So they have all this depth. They have, you know, you know, tr- you know four very, very good players at, at the very least and, you know, a bunch of guys that you could buy as a breakout guy, right? Like beyond, beyond Kithier, who I think kind of is who he is, not only do you have Watts, who I think is the obvious breakout candidate, but you also have, you know, f- former well-regarded recruit in Hall. Gabe Brown played a lot of minutes last year, was productive. You know, Marble was a guy who, um, you know, looked decent in short runs. Bingham has, has had some impact in his career. So they have all these breakout candidates. They've got, you know, the best coach in the conference as well. I think for me, they stood out a little bit above the rest. And I think they will be a top 10 team. So I think if, if uh, Hoggard is good to go right away, that's something that could be really interesting uh, because I, I think the, the whole idea, especially for the future, right, is to play Hoggard and Watts together where Watts is kind of point guard size, but, um, you know, 
he, he can really score and, and uh, he would thrive off the ball. Hoggard is bigger and can really pass and is not as athletic. Um, so you, you could kind of hide him on a defense against slower twos as opposed to you know, the, the quicker point guards. So maybe that's that's something. I, I know that this front court is pretty stacked. I mean, Bingham was very promising. You mentioned Hall, and there, there, there are some people who absolutely love Maddie Sissiko and think he's a, a one-and-done type. But, you know, maybe kind of uh, uh, Marquette-esque, we can see Joey Hauser down to small ball five and see, see like a Hoggard, Watts, Langford, Henry, Hauser. Uh, that could be really interesting for a Michigan State. I think the more we talk about them, I, I, I kind of want to move them up, but I'm keeping myself in check with their lack of point guard play there. Um, and you know, there are a lot of kind of new people uh, going from Tillman in Winston there. We have Langford missed the whole year, and you have Hauser coming off a transfer. Um, so it's not quite as seamless as it might look on paper. Yeah, no, agreed. I, I will say this. This is the best chance people are going to have to go beat this Michigan State team in the Big Ten because you have only one senior on the roster in Langford. Yes, it's possible Aaron Henry goes pro, but you have to imagine that everyone else would be back. You're adding next year, you're adding two four stars in Pierre Brooks and Jaden Akins, as well as a five star in Max Christie. And then you have the X factor of Amani Bates, who could reclassify up and play who's arguably the best high school prospect in the last you know 15 years. So um, Michigan State's program as a whole is in a really good place right now under Tom Izzo. Absolutely. I mean, they are loaded. I mean, they have they have I think a four star guy at every every spot, like starter and reserve, right? Because you have Hoggard and Watts. Or four, oh, I, I guess Henry was a three star, but yeah, he's an NBA prospect now. Um, but yeah, and then Brown, I think, was borderline. But then even you go to 11 and 12, Lawyer and, and Pierre Brooks are both four-stars, too. So, you know, like 12 or 13 four-star guys on this team. Yeah, unbelievable, the talent that they have accumulated. Um, looking, looking forward... Uh, next number team number four in our in our standings. I think you have them at three. I'm at four. Is Iowa, um, and this is the you know really the biggest question mark team in the off season. I think really the team that has spurred spurred more conversation, in my my opinion, on like social media, than any other team because they are they are they feel like this year's Nevada, like they bring enough back that people know who they are. You know, and they know a lot of these guys. They have this superstar in Luca Garza. They're, you know, they didn't have the NCAA tournament run to, you know, be able to say for sure, okay, well, where should the hype train be? You know, last, last, kind of like last year's Marquette pre Hauser's departure. Um, but they've been this team where you have some people like, man, look at all this talent. They're all, they're running it back. They've got a, the best player in the country. You know, this is a top five team. Like I saw, um, I saw Dave Borges, David Borges, the Yukon beat writer. He said number one. <laughs> he said, Cobbling together a preseason AP ballot, any reason not to vote Iowa number one, and and because Iowa does not count. Uh, excuse me, what? Like that—that that is completely absurd. But there, that there's is one, one enormous reason to not have Iowa number one. What 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 are we going with here? 
There's many uh, of them. Defense? I was going to say Fran McCaffrey, who I love. He's just not, not going to have a one, number one caliber team. Who's going to guard on this team? Program talent. Right. I mean, it's, it's an absurd thing. But again, I think there's this really large thing where you have some people who are like super in it, who are like, is Iowa even going to be a top 25 team? And then you have other people who are like, is Iowa a top five-ish team? And that makes them so interesting. Um, again, they have the best player in the country, Luca Garza, who you know dominated last season in a way that I think really made me reevaluate this offseason how to how to evaluate established very good players because he went from thirteen and five to twenty four and ten. Um, you know, he he just elevated his game in every single facet, um, which was just incredible to watch. And he he makes matchups so difficult because you're surrounding him with a really good shooter, really good shooters all over the place. And Frederick and Wieskamp and Jordan Bohannon. And, you know, they, they have a ton of options. They can go really small and play those, those three guys. And like Connor McCaffrey is like a glue guy, small ball four. you know, they could play Patrick McCaffrey. Who's like a six, eight guy, but is very, very skinny. He's not going to be able to guard fours. I don't think, you know, physically they can play Joe Toussaint and really, really small with four true guards. They could go bigger with Jack Nunji who redshirted last year. Um, like again, they have they have so much, so much, so many options in terms of how to match you up offensively. But again, this was a team that was 97th in defense in Ken Palm. They're, you know, not athletic, right? Like this is not, oh, well, they have all these pieces to defend. Like, I don't know who CJ Frederick's guarding, right? I don't know who uh Jordan Bohannon is gonna guard. Like they 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 flat out will struggle in that regard. And maybe, you know, maybe they can zone up a little bit. Maybe one of these freshmen, um, you know, I know Tony Perkins is a guy I watched a little tape of and thought could be really good. Aaron Euless is, I think, a multi, you know, definitely like a, a down-the-line guy, but I think he'll be a decent Big Ten player. But, like, it's hard to buy this defense magically being, like, a top 30 unit that I think they would need to compete for a title unless their offense is just nuclear. And it could be nuclear, but... Is that a reasonable expectation? I'm really not sure. And that's what makes this Iowa team so polarizing in the preseason. But even like to have a nuclear offense, don't you need someone who's like a little more of like an explosive athlete in there too? Like, like they have all the shooting. They, they have a veteran point guard. They have the best player in the country at, at, as a skilled center. But it feels like, you know, you, you, you want someone with a little more explosiveness or or, or or slack, you know, like a, like a Patrick Williams type maybe to be your power forward. Maybe he's totally, not the best example. Like a Scotty Barnes to be your power forward or something like that. But, I mean, um, I I think that one, one really interesting thing about this Iowa team is that the past couple of years, right, they've had a more physical big man playing alongside Garza. You had Tyler Cook. Last year you had Ryan Creener um, with with Cordell Pemsel's uh, sprinkled in there as well. Now Garza and Josh Gundelay, the three-star freshman, who's a really good rebounder, uh, but doesn't have a ton of skill. Those are the only two bigs really on, on the entire roster. And the way it's constructed, you, know, you broke down the roster earlier, Gundelay is probably only going to play when Garza's out of the game. So they're going to be a lot smaller, which will help them space the floor more. I mean, they have an incredible amount of spacing. Uh, McCaffrey's a really good good glue guy next to all these shooters and, and scorer types. 
but but they don't have like a explosive athlete to kind of put in the mix, and they don't have that physical presence that they had in the years prior. And maybe that's what they need to, you know, as as you put it, truly go nuclear on offense. Uh, but it's going to be interesting to kind of track the uh, changes there. No, without a doubt, I will. I will say this. I think a Connor McCaffrey is underrated, so so underrated, even by Iowa fans. Like Iowa fans for a while thought that Connor McCaffrey stunk and was like only playing because his dad. Like Connor McCaffrey is a legitimately excellent glue guy. He can hit a three. He you know he doesn't do a ton offensively, but he'll like, you know he, he'll hit a shot when he needs to. He gets to the free throw line. He has a good assist turnover ratio, and he defends multiple possessions. Like sign me up on that. But I think if you're looking for the way this offense goes from like good, like like elite to like elite, 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 I mean, you you're 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 replacing the minutes that were split between Joe Toussaint and Bakari Evelyn, who combined to shoot 30% for three last season, with Jordan Bohannon, and Jordan Bohannon shot is over 40% for his career, 41% for his career. Right, Wieskamp last year only shot thirty-five percent from three, after shooting forty-two and a half percent as a freshman. So it is very possible that you wind up with Wieskamp and Bohannon improving this team's shooting to even another level. You also have to consider, right? Like Wieskamp is in the same point in his career that Luca Garza was. In. And, and would it be realistic to say that Wieskamp's going to come up and all of a sudden average, you know, 19 points, six rebounds, and three assists? No. But, like, his, 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 but, but, but for reference, his top three player comparisons on Ken Palm are Trayvon Blewett in 2015, Drew Crawford from Northwestern in 2011, and Elijah Hughes in 2019. And all three of those dudes had huge years the following year. So there is a little bit more upside that I think people are giving credit to Iowa in the regard of like what happens if just like Joe Wieskamp becomes an absolute superstar. Yeah, I, I mean Wieskamp was someone who had NBA draft buzz as like a potential second rounder. I think he will get drafted, you know, with his size and shooting ability. Um, I do want to break the news though that I, I am switching Michigan State and Iowa for me. I think that's Michigan smart. State's up, up to three. Iowa's down to four. Okay. I think we both so we I think most people agree on that tier, though, right? Like one through four. You can shuffle them anyway, but. I have, I have a team sneaking into that tier as well, a, a fifth team. Go ahead. Michigan. Oh, no, no. No, 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 no. No, the more I look at this Michigan team, the, the more I like. What, what are your reservations about Michigan? Um, so I think my, one of my main things is the, the point guard spot. I think Juwan Howard ran a million ball screens last year, spaced it out. And I think point guard's going to be a real weakness for this team. Eli Brooks is not a point guard, no matter how hard he, he, he tries to play one on TV. You know, he's, he's a six man. He's kind of, kind of a jitterbug guy. I do think the Sean D. Brown waiver is big. It does. It, I. It would make me consider moving them up a little bit, but I don't feel good about a team that's point guard room is Eli Brooks and Mike Michael Smith. I don't think Michael Smith's a Big Ten player. I really don't. And I think 
to me, when you're building a roster around, okay, we have all these good wings. You know, they have three terrific, terrific wings. And then a, a good big man in Hunter Dickinson, who I guess will probably play 25 minutes, and Austin Davis will get the other 15 because, you know, college basketball. Like, they're just missing that point guard spot for me. And I would take David Julius right now, nine days out of, you know, 30 days out of a month, 365 days a year, if I could, you know, if I, if I could have him back, because he, to me, would be a big, big addition, big, big, big jump over a guy like Michael Smith. So are we, are you more comfortable with Rocket Watts and Foster Lawyer? It's a very different offense, though. Juwan Howard's an NBA mind who wants to play a bunch of balls, play a bunch of ball screens, space the floor, um, you know, let, let your point guard create, you know, have your big man roll into the rim. That's that's different, I think, to what Izzo's is going to want to do. You don't think Franz Wagner could, could uh, make a jump and take on more, more ball handling? He could do a little, but... I mean, Franz was really good down the stretch. He averaged, I think, like 16-6 and six in his final six games. Like, he was really impressed. He, he really has a great it. feel. Yes. He's a, good, he has, he, he's a really good floor game. Um, great feel. And I think Brown is a guy who will help them a lot because he's... He's that extra piece that I think they needed to give them the versatility. If you remember early in the offseason when you were what, breaking down this Michigan team, we're sitting there going, like, how are they going to figure out how to get all these guys on the floor? Because they have you know, all, all this talent. They can go bigger. They can go smaller, whatever. And it kind of settled in before they got this brown waiver because of all, these, all the transfers and the Isaiah Todd decommitment. And it settled into a point where you were like, okay, well, I guess they could, you know, they're, they're going to be really thin in the backcourt unless you like Michael Smith. So you could you could maybe say you, you, you're going to have to play Wagner and Livers at the two and the three and then go traditional four and a five. And now now that you have Brown, you can do a little bit more with that two through four mix. You know, Brown, I think, is probably a little bit better than a Keyshawn Woods who comes came in from Wake Forest to the Big Ten a couple of years ago. Was a former top 50 recruit. But... Uh, you know, he he definitely had some upside as an athlete, but again, I just think the point guard spot's a question. I think I think I could be sold up to six. I don't know if I could be sold past Rutger. So I I I have them at five, and you know, but between the jump that Livers made last year, showing more a perimeter skill, I think Wagner's certainly going to break out. Adding another veteran in uh, Shawnee Brown, who could be a double-figure scorer. Brooks averaged double figures last year. I know that you don't like him. He's not the, the right type of point guard. He's better off with the two where he was last year. Uh, but, you know, the, the, the guy's being undersold. I mean, he can really defend and average double figures on a top 25-ish caliber team. That allows Mike Smith to come off the bench and to pick his spots. And if he's not good, you have a top 75 recruit in Zeb Jackson who can play both guard spots. And then this uh, front court is really interesting where you can go super big with Dickinson. I know Howard really likes Austin Davis, who's super high motor. He can really, really rebound. Um, and then you have Brandon Johns, who could potentially be a stretch five. Sh- showed a much better uh, out- outside touch last year. Then it's not even counting a top 75 recruit in uh, Terrence Williams. Uh, 
who could play multiple positions as well. So I think the uh, roster is super versatile. I think they have enough scoring. I think, I think they have enough shooting. Real size advantage in the front court. And, and I think that this, this point guard situation is fine. I would even say it's better than the Michigan State's point guard situation. And, and like Florida's, you know, Florida State's, a few of those teams that people are going to rank in that range as well. Yeah. Okay. I I guess I can buy that. Um I guess again for me it's just like that is that like it, it is just scary to me to be like to be buying into a team that's going to be so reliant on such a I'm trying to pull a stat here which is why I sound so um completely lost. Um but so so yeah, here here's the stat I wanted. So Michigan was three 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 and a half points better per a hundred possessions with Xavier Simpson on the floor um, than when he was off it. Um, but if I do Eli Brooks, and here's well, here's the real test using Hoop Explorer here, which is a lot of fun. Um, so Eli Brooks on off numbers. Um, they were better on offense. They were four and a half points better on offense when he was off the floor. So to me, I think that, you know, that, that it's not, it's not, it's not the be all end all, but I think it's a little concerning to be putting so much stock at him to run an offense and distribute. Okay. But sticking with, with, with the Michigan state comparison, I mean, how much better were they with Cassius Winston on and off versus Rocket Watts, you know? Yeah. Okay, that's fair. Uh, uh, I'm sure every team that was good last year that's that's going to lose somebody. We can play that game with you know as, as well. Okay, so you have Michigan at five. That is much higher. I have them at eight. Again, I think with Brown, I could be I could move them up maybe up to six. I think that Indiana Purdue tier is so similar to each other. Um, it's just really tough for me. I don't know. It's that whole middle tier. I mean, you're gonna be you're gonna have one fan base pissed off, right? Like. There's no way around it. Rutgers at six. Should I uh, should I take the reins here? Go for it. Okay. So Rutgers runs it back, essentially. They do lose uh, a very key player in a, a quasi-Yaboa, who I think was one of the more underrated guys in the country last year, particularly because of the, you know, the way he fit in. He was a guy who made threes. He could play the four. He could switch defensively. I think in some ways they were better off with him playing as much as he did at the four than, um, and, and, and Ron Harper also bumped to the four a fair amount. I think they were better off in that regard by having him than Eugene Amarui, right? I think Amarui was a really nice player and he averaged 12 and seven for them on a worse team, but going a little bit smaller and freeing up, you know, free, freeing up guys like Harper uh, to score, freeing up, giving more space to Jacob Young to attack the basket, I thought, and and more space down low for Miles Johnson as well. I think was really really impactful. Um, still, this was a team that that had a little magic. They they found a way at home um, to to win. I believe every game at the rack last season. They might have lost one game at home, um, but regardless, they were you know just a really competitive group. They played well together. Uh, and, and they do lose a couple of guys, not only Yabo, they also lose Caleb McConnell, um, who was in the rotation, was a nice kind of long athletic guy who could 
play multiple positions, handle the ball. Um, but they make a big addition in Cliff Amarui up front, not related to Eugene, uh, who will add more rim protection, more athleticism up front, top 50, top 40 recruit. Um, will make that center duo really, really difficult. Uh, here's honestly the X factor with Rutgers. They were so good at home last year. New Jersey is one of the most um, restricted states in the country in terms of what you can have fan-wise. The rack will not be the fortress it was last year. How does Rutgers respond to that? I think that might be the difference between you know five and nine in this conference. That's honestly the big, biggest concern that I have. I mean, so there, you know, one one major concern, right, is they didn't really go get somebody to replace Aquazi Yaboa, right? They have a few freshmen, so maybe you know, like a Mawat Mac is able to surprise. But that that really makes them a lot smaller, right? There's he, been buzz so, about Oscar Palmquist being good as a freshman. Is is he the same level of like the physical presence though as uh, Yaboa? Yeah. No, but they say you can shoot it some. Right, so this seems to be a little different. Um, and now with the McConnell out, you're looking at more minutes for Jacob Young, who's a s- smaller uh, offensive-minded guy. I feel like you're losing some of your defense here. And the Amaru we had is nice. But he he, he, he and Johnson aren't going to play together, though. So that really kind of limits his overall impact in a year one. So, because if 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 Miles Johnson plays twenty five minutes a game, I mean, Amaruwe can only impact those fifteen minutes. Yes, but Miles Johnson played twenty three and three point six last year. Was often in foul trouble, and they had to spend a lot of time with Shaq Carter as on the floor as their, you know, as their big man. And there was a fairly significant drop on defense with. Carter on the floor versus with Miles Johnson, uh, about five points per 100 possessions. And, you know, Johnson was a good rim, better rim protector than Carter. He's also a better offensive weapon, you know, better on the rim. Omaru is going to be even better in terms of a rim protector, I think, than Johnson was. Johnson averaged one and a half blocks one in 23.6 minutes. I think you could see even better than that from, from Omaru. So I do think there is some benefit added in that regard. And I mean, I have I have Rutgers as the top twenty-five team, um, you know, with Baker, Harper, Johnson. That that's a really good trio. That the, you know, that doesn't even include Montez Mathis, who's a former top one hundred recruit, who was very solid thus far. And you know, I we uh, talked about him a lot in the preseason of last year. But Paul Mulcahy, I I really like his game. I like that oversized jumbo point guard that'll play one through three and he'll just do the little things and move the ball. You know, can can see over the defense. Him and uh, the guy who, who we'll touch on later, uh, Delano Banton for uh, Nebraska. That's that's a favorite archetype of mine. Um, but I do think that this defensive change is going to be a, a concern. You know, losing that athletic combo forward and putting a smaller guard in his place and then losing your athletic kind of long, versatile guard in McConnell. Um, but I think having more minutes for Young in um, okay, he isn't a bad thing per se. I just think that's kind of changing their identity a little bit. Yeah. 
No, I think that's fair. I think on the other hand, you have to say, you know, Geo Baker wasn't always healthy last year, struggled with the shot as a result of it. I think he'll be better. Harper has room to grow. Montez Mathis has room to grow. Okay, he has room to grow. Even Miles Johnson was only a sophomore, really took a step last year. He has room to grow. So there is some development that could happen here. Um, that said, are there a couple of vibes that give me the, you know, Northwestern in 2018 collapse vibes? Yeah. You know, weird, weird circumstance that causes their arena to not be the home court advantage it was in the previous season. Check. Program that never wins. Check. Uh, you know, moment in March that leaves you wondering what could have happened. Check. I mean, every everything is a uh, every everything aligns there. So if Rutgers finishes like fifteen and eighteen, they got the Northwestern Jinx. So next, you have Indiana up at six. I have them down at eight. Do you want to ex- kind of uh, expound on your Indiana love here? I wouldn't say it's love as much as it's not being overly enamored with a lot of the options here in the middle. Um, I think my main reason is just I'm a massive, massive Trace Jackson Davis fan. I'm not sure if you could hear that, Brad, but that was a little uh, computer malfunction. But we're we're rolling again. Um, I think when you look at Jackson Davis, I wasn't super high on him coming into the year. He was as productive as anyone. He averaged 13 and 9. Really got to the free throw line at a high rate block shots. And I think he, he's another guy who has, who has some room to grow. And he was so consistent throughout the Big Ten season, you know, took a beating every night and still just put up numbers every single game. And I think that will serve him well. Do I love the Joey Brunk thing? No. Would I prefer that they can get, you know, something out of maybe it's, you know, a situation where you're running, you know, Race Thompson a little more. He's kind of a glue guy. Or maybe Jerome Hunter. Maybe even they go smaller. A guy like Jordan Geronimo gets some small ball four minutes. Um, because I think one of the things that really would unlock this team is is a really good performance in, as a freshman from Christian Lander, the five-star reclassified freshman. I'm trying not to overhype him because the history recently with reclassified guys has not been very good. You know, you go through like last year and felt like Dante and Johnny Juzang uh, were two guys that struggled in previous years. I'm thinking of Derek Thornton all the way back there. Like the the history on the reclassified guys when they aren't like the number one recruit in the country is not as great. But I think Lander is, you know, very athletic. He can handle the ball and he gives some pop at that point guard spot that Rob Finnessy doesn't. You know, you could get, you could go with those two point guard looks and then Al Durham at the three, slot in a four man of your choice, or even Jackson Davis at the four with Brunk at the five. I think there's options here. And they have a superstar in, in Jackson Davis, who I think is better than Trivion Williams at Purdue. Will I live to regret picking Indiana over and Archie Miller over Matt Painter and Purdue? Probably. Um, am I going to do it anyway? I think I probably will. Yeah, so I guess the reasons why I'm a little more hesitant on Indiana, and I have them about the same as where they finished last year. Uh, finished 34th in Ken Palm last year. I'm at 33rd, which puts them 8th in the big 10. And I really hope as you alluded to earlier that they go with more Jackson Davis at the five. Um, and I think with him at the five, you're looking at hopefully Jerome Hunter is the answer coming off major injury um, was in the rotation last year. Can give a little more perimeter skill, a little more scoring, not really sure what Brunk gives you. And if 
that moves Jackson Davis to a position that's not advantageous um, really kills your floor spacing. Um, Jackson Davis, you know, we we watched him at FIBA, and he was really good as as an energy guy, and I think his game really emerged with more offensive responsibility. Uh, he was really good around the basket, even attacking from the high post. He, he, he really proved to be like a physical beast in there. Um, so I'm hoping he can play more center and utilize his quickness and his athleticism against opposing five men. But in order to do that, you mentioned Geronimo, I mentioned Hunter. Um, Race Thompson's kind of in between Brunk and Hunter in terms of, I think he's a little more skilled than Brunk, uh, but he's still kind of a big man. Uh, but Indiana's bench this year, if you're projecting it out, right, you got the three guys who were rotation players last year, Franklin, Hunter, and Thompson. Improvements from those guys could could really boost this Indiana team. Um, and you're really going to need to bank on a return to, to form from Rob Fennessy, who I think was hurt. Maybe it was concussion last year. I, I don't remember exactly. Um, but but he didn't play up to expectations last year. And it'll be interesting to see how, how he fits with the five-star point guard Lander. I think you probably start them together, at least at the start of the season. Um, and Al, Al Durham was someone who I thought was better than the numbers indicated last year. I think you could start him at that as like a smaller uh, three man in there. Um, my reason for having them kind of st- stuck in place, eighth in the Big Ten, thirty uh, 33rd nationally, is I don't like what Miller's doing with, with this too big rotation. I think you're banking on a lot of jumps, right? You need Finnessy to return to form, and you need one or two of Hunter, Thompson, Franklin to make a, a jump. And then, as as you pointed out, we're we're relying on a reclassified starting point guard, um, and and these freshman starting point guards can uh, really struggle at times. We saw Cole Anthony last year. We've seen Trayvon Duvall, and now Lander's probably better shooter than those guys, um, but still not not a sure thing, especially when he should be in high school for another year. They're, 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 they feel like they're one piece away, right? Like, sell me on, you know, Armand Franklin. Sell me on Geronimo. Sell me on one of these, you know, underrated guys. Jerome Hunter, right? Like, sell me on one of these dudes making a jump. And I think I feel even more confident in this. They so. could use Justin Smith playing the four and Jackson Davis playing the five. <laughs> they certainly could. I wonder what happened there. I think I think the more I think about it, I think Justin Smith's gonna have a huge year for Arkansas. Well, Playing I'm seeing people talking about JD Note as their leading scorer, and I'm like, uh oh, no, no, please don't. No, I I think it's gonna be Justin Smith at like 14 points and seven rebounds, really emerging. All right, you want to give me your Purdue rundown? Sure. So Purdue was a team when they had Carson Edwards, they really elevated their their role players, you know, the team just fit together so perfectly. You had guys like Grady Eifert, who was technically a walk-on, was giving you great minutes at the starting lineup as a glue guy big. Ryan Klein emerged as, like, a really high-level college player with his ability to defend and stretch the floor next to Edwards. And you had maybe 
if not the perfect point guard, you had a really effective point guard and there were no gel Eastern who could just terrorize opposing guards. It was super versatile. Last year, it all falls apart where you can't just pull out Edwards and plug in uh, Jihad Proctor. It's not going to work. The uh, team synergy fell apart. And then uh, Aaron Wheeler was disappointing. The the Matt Harms uh, Travion Williams combo left something to be desired as well, but this year the the roster looks like it fits better, right? In terms of your veterans back, you're gonna have that Wheeler Williams front court buying a bounce back for Aaron Wheeler. I would I would certainly buy Aaron, Aaron Wheeler stock after his disappointing year last year. Williams is the full time starter. We'll see if he can scale up his minutes, play 25 to 20 a game. Uh, and he's a terror on the offensive glass. He is. Solid feel. He can make some really good passes. Occasionally forces it too much. That's a really interesting front court there. And you have your you have a back court that has has played a lot of minutes this far in their career with a shooter in Stefanovic. Your potential leading scorer in Eric Hunter, if he takes a jump, I think he's probably the most likely guy to take a jump there. And then Isaiah Thompson, who was in the rotation previously, playing point guard, and then. You have a bench full of wild cards where a lot of people really like Ethan Morton, who's like a cool guy, wing, wing combo guard type. Jaden Ivey is explosive guard, a lot of people like. So if they can get su- surprising contributions from their freshman bench, I think that this starting lineup works together really well. I think Purdue should be back in the NCAA tournament. I have them as a top 40 team, I think exactly 40. I think their talent level... On paper, still a little low. I think Isaiah Thompson's probably one of the worst starting point guards in, in the Big Big Ten if you line them all up. Um, and I think Trivion Williams is your best player in that archetype where we don't know how much he can play with the stamina and everything. I think, I think that's a little scary. Um, but I'm buying that this Purdue team has enough synergy to return to the NCAA tournament. So a few notes. I think you're, you're pretty much spot on with you know, most of this, I think generally I would call the point guard Hunter, right? Like to me, he's the guy that's really initiating offense. He's the one creating Thompson was really more of a, of a ball mover who could, you know, hit an outside shot, which is what they really needed was was some shooting. Uh, I think Thompson will play, but I also think with three really good options in the backcourt who are younger guys and Ethan Morton, Brandon Newman, and Jaden Ivey, that there might be an opportunity to play Hunter, Stefanovic, and then one of those guys. Because that's even two of them. You bench Aaron Wheeler and then play Williams at the five. Um, Morton's a guy I think you, you could use two through four. You know, he could be a small all four and, and be a little bit – dude. Not, I'm not, I'm not going to compare him to Nogel because I think he's a different player, but similar in that they can play multiple positions, they can handle the ball, you know, true like definition of a glue guy. I think, I think his presence could be really important. Uh, and then Newman as well was a guy who a lot of people really liked out of high school. A lot of people thought was going to be a very nice player. Redshirted last year. You know, would it surprise me if like this Purdue development program hasn't come in and averaged you know, nine points a game? Like, no, it wouldn't surprise me at all. And then, are you concerned at all with their big man group um, between uh, du- Duomona, who I guess is going to be the Backup center who has people are buying Edie, aren't they? He's he's a reclassified guy too, right? 
I think he's pretty old. He uh, fits the uh, Purdue mold of like the enormous space eating center. Yes. And he was at IMG, but he wasn't a highly rated recruit. You know, this is a guy no. who was 431st in the composite. I know Matt, uh, I know Matt Painter was kind of hyping him up about where he stood on a uh, comparative to a couple year a couple years ago with Matt Harms as a freshman. So that he's a better rebounder in practice than Isaac Haas was. Which, I mean, Isaac Haas wasn't actually that great a rebounder because he was slow and didn't move. Um, but yeah, that that is a reasonable concern. I think Williams is going to take a little bit of a step forward in minutes. Honestly, towards the end of the season, it seemed like he really established himself as the guy for this team. And I think that will carry over. That also came kind of carried over in the minutes department down the stretch. He was, you know, more consistently up over 22, 25 minutes. I think he can get to 25 a game this year, which would be critical. Anything else on Purdue before we move off to the uh, Buckeyes of Ohio State? No, they're pretty bland. Ohio State is a team I've seen a very wide range of opinions on. I've seen people with them top 20. I've seen them maybe even a tad higher than that. I've seen people have them as like a bubble team. I certainly don't think that they're a bubble team. I think the people who have them bubble are overlooking Justice Suing, who was a top five sit-out transfer in the country um, after coming from, from Cal. I know a lot of the draft people really like his game as a versatile combo forward. Um, Seth, uh, uh, Seth Towns is another person who could be really swinging Ohio State's outcome, where guy hasn't played in two years. But the last time he played, he was playing extremely high level, was a fringe NBA prospect type, um, was Ivy Player of the Year. He's multi-positional. He, he, he can shoot it. He can create. So depending on how much of return to form you're buying from Towns will also heavily influence your, your Ohio State r- ranking. Uh, suing, just, just to point out, too, 14 points, 6 rebounds, 1.7 steals, 30% from 3, but 78% from, from the free throw line as a sophomore on Cal. Um, so between suing... Train wreck of a Cal team, to be fair. That's true, but... Um, I mean, Towns is playing as Ivy League competition. I mean, with these yes. newcomers, you can really pick and, you know, you can pick out. Uh, I agree that Suing's very good. I'm not, I'm not fighting on that one. But so between Towns, Suing, and then uh, EJ Liddell, who's more of a power forward, who might, might play some small ball five, uh, but you're, you're, you're building a really versatile group here. Uh, and that doesn't even include guys like Musa Jallo, who is a rotation. 3 and D type a couple years ago, and Eugene Brown is a top 150 um, shooter as well. So there's a lot to like in terms of that versatility, um, a lot of length, and then you're returning your backcourt of C.J. Walker and uh, Dwayne Washington. Walker is probably going to be one of the more underappreciated guys in the country just because he was on Florida State, which plays a lot of guys. Um, and he was a starter on that team. He, he, he was a key piece on a, on a very good team. Then he transfers and kind of gets lo- lost on the shuffle. Um, ends up having a really strong year for the Buckeyes last year. And then um, speaking of breakout players, 
Um, Dwayne Washington at at this point last year, we didn't know if he was going to even make the rotation or not. And he has a huge year as a as a scoring guard as well. Um, and then Kyle Young, who is maybe two two years ago was that surprise guy for Chris Holtman where. You kind of size up the roster. You don't see how he's going to play. He ends up being a starter. Now, pl- playing him at center, uh, you, you're, you're going to lose some of that uh, defensive impact from Caleb Wesson. Uh, but D- Young's a tough physical player who can really rebound and hold his own um, in the interior. So overall, I mean, this is a pretty pretty w- well-rounded team with a pretty high talent level when, when you look at the veterans like Washington and Walker and the, the newcomers with Towns and Suing. Yeah, this is an interesting group, without a doubt. I think um, my main concern is just the health of Towns. It sounds like he's not going to be ready to go at the beginning of the season. He hasn't played in two years, like he said. They need someone who can score, right? Like, if you're looking at, at this team, losing Caleb Wesson, who was their go-to guy, a season ago, and also losing Andre Wesson, who was very solid, losing Luther Muhammad, who was another you know good rotation player. DJ Carden gave him a lot of offense. They're losing a you know a a significant amount of their guys who could go get you a bucket. And Towns, I think, was going to be a guy I was expecting to lean on there. So the fact that he's not going to be ready right away is a concern. I don't think suing is really that guy. Again, I think he's going to be a really impactful player. Defend maybe get you eleven points and you know five rebounds and defend your opposing team's best player. But I think you're going to need some scoring from somewhere. And I'm not sure Dwayne Washington is a guy you really want to build your offense around. I think EJ Liddell has a chance to have a really good year um, next to Kyle Young. Young, I think, is to me one of the more underappreciated players in the country, just like a dirty work guy. They they are a better team on on both ends when when he is on the floor and and i think that was just so obvious to me uh when watching this ohio state club uh this season and in 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 recent seasons they were you know he he, the last two seasons really i think he's been a a tremendous tremendous impact guy uh for ohio state and i think liddell is, is is really naturally geared up to to step into that western role where you know he he's a little he's a little short, but he's he's very stocky, uh, very good around the rim. I think he'll eventually shoot it uh, based on the free throw numbers, and he blocked a lot of shots uh, for for a younger guy who's a little bit short. So I think I think there's a nice core here. I even think like Zed Key could get into the rotation. I think he's a really good freshman for them. I think he'll play. Um, but to me, you know, I just think I think they're they they they're lacking something here, and this is where. Losing Carton, one and done, but not in the way you hoped. Losing Alonzo Gaffney, one and done, not in the way you'd hoped. Really hurt in terms of, of how Ohio State was going to you know, build out this team for this season. I will say, though, about Ohio State is they have, I think, six guys who could average in double figures. Yes. And when you, you look at your starting lineup of Walker, Washington, Towns, Suing, and Young, and then EJ Little as a sixth man, all... All six of those guys could easily average between 10 and 12 points a game. Washington could even get up to like 15 or so. Um, so they are missing that that best player, but they will have a pretty good balanced scoring group. Um, you mentioned Zed Key is a pretty significant X factor. Um, he has a little Bonzi Colson in this game. Obviously, poor man's Bonzi Colson doesn't have 
quite the perimeter game. Uh, but from like mid range and in, I think he has some of that in him. And then they have Abel Porter, who I mean he he was a starter on a couple very good Utah State teams, hoping to kind of replicate that Andrew Dockett's role from a few years ago, um, play some backup point guard behind Walker and give Ohio State some uh, glue guy in there. Um, so they have a pretty solid top eight or nine. It's just can either Washington or Towns or even C.J. Walker be your best player on on a top 25 team? I, I have the Buckeyes at 27th nationally right now. Um, I've seen them any, anywhere from like 15th to 45th. I think they're closer to the 40 you had per day. Okay. Should we go to Minnesota, who I believe is 10th for both of us? Yeah, so Minnesota's the one team that didn't do us a favor in the Big Ten with his waiver. Still waiting on the, the, the both Gotch waiver, uh, who'd start at, at the three um, when he gets it. Um, but, but they have one of the best point guards in the country, Marcus Carr. They have a really, really talented... Uh, shooting two guard with Gabe Kalsher guy really emerged out of nowhere as a three-star recruit had a great freshman year and then a totally revamped front court where you're going to have one of the best waiver transfers on the market I think most people ranked him as the best waiver transfer and the Liam Robbins from Drake um, who's like this seven foot center who can really uh, anchor the defense and, can, and is pretty skilled around the basket as well and then Brandon Johnson from Western Michigan, more of a traditional four in the mold that uh, that Patino likes to play. Give you some uh, some uh, rebounding and athleticism as well. And then their their bench is pretty promising, in the sense that Trey Williams showed flashes in a smaller role last year. Isaiah Enan came on down the stretch at at, at a power forward. Um, they have a top 100 recruit in uh, Jamal Mashburn who will be able to brought on, able to be brought on slowly, and they have a million bigs, um, two of which have been in the rotation before with Jarvis Omersa and then the often injured Eric Curry, who was once a very promising player, and then a top 150 center in uh, Martise Mitchell. So the bench looks solid. They they have guys who have been in the rotation before. They have a great point guard, a great center. Kalsher's a rock solid two guard, and any you know if they can get more efficient play from both Gotch and Big Ten level competence from Brandon Johnson, there's no reason why Minnesota can't make the tournament. Yeah, I mean we've been over Minnesota a fair amount on this podcast with regard to kind of this roster synergy that we both see here. Uh, and I think Rich Patino deserves a lot of credit. I think he's been much maligned as a coach, and I think he's deserved a lot of that. But just from a roster makeup standpoint, he did a really nice job, particularly bouncing back from a somewhat unexpected pro departure um, to not only go get Liam Robbins, but also to get you know plug-and-play guy and Brandon Johnson, to also get another plug-and-play guy who could start in Booth Gatch. I think that has been you know absolutely critical uh, in, in building up this roster, which I think in a lot of conferences you'd be talking a lot more about as a, as a team not finishing 10th. And it's just kind of where the big 10's at, but I think they could creep into 
you know, the top, you know, the top 25 nationally with, with the right breaks. I don't think that's unreasonable to say at all. They have, you know, as you said, a terrific point guard in car, they have shooting, they have these, these breakout guys in Williams and Enan. Um, and then Robbins, I think the big question again is what makes them better than last year? Um, you know, you're losing an NBA player in Uturu who I think was under, underappreciated nationally just for how good he was. And you're replacing him again with Liam Robbins, who I think was a very nice player. Um, you know, absolutely, you know, impact guy at Drake, you know, probably would have been, you know, among, among the mix with AJ Green and Cam Crutwig for player of the year in the conference this coming season. But are you getting NBA player from him? Are you getting top 10 player in Ken Palm in the country from him? Like they got from Dan Arturo. And if not, how much more are you getting from Trey Williams and from Isaiah Enan and from Brandon Johnson to jump from what was again, a team that was top 30 in Ken Palm, but a team that finished 15 and 16 in, in on the season, right? Like that to me is the number one concern. I think if Rich Pacino can't win with this group, I think you really have to start evaluating where you're going with this thing um, because they've got a really nice core. It's really well assembled. Uh, it's just, it's just a matter of finding a way to win basketball games. Next, we have another really weird roster. And that's the Maryland Terrapins where they're losing their, there are two stars. Jalen Smith's off to probably be a lottery pick. Might go play next to Zion Williamson in the NBA. Uh, potentially, we'll see in a couple weeks. And then Anthony Cowan, longtime uh, starting point guard for them. They don't really have a guy to replace either. The roster is going to be completely different. Where they're going to lean on their their strength on the wing. Um, so I guess Eric Ayala is going to be the nominal uh, point guard after averaging nine points and two and a half assists last year. I think he's a better shooter than the 27% he shot this year. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how he transitions to being the point guard. You have a athletic kind of versatile piece in Morcel, another one in Wiggins. Wiggins has probably the highest upside on this team. He could emerge as a NBA prospect uh, with his shooting potential. Ha- hasn't shot it as well as people thought he would, um, but he has that upside. And then where I think this team is really interesting is that at the four and the five, they're going to be kind of combo forward heavy with Dante Scott, who was a glue guy starter last year for them uh, next to Jalen Smith. And then Jarius Hamilton. Well, I know when, when I saw him play at the five for Boston college, when Popovich was out, he, he, he really excelled at that spot. Um, he, he was big enough to hold his own and he was athletic enough to cause a mismatch. Um, so I think that that's something that Maryland fans could be intrigued about. Uh, but I think ultimately the lack of point guard play here, the lack of a defined best player, I think is probably going to doom Maryland. Um, Marcus Dockery is okay. Freshman uh, top 150 guard. Good shooter, lefty. Not really a traditional point guard. Uh, Hakeem Hart was in and out of the rotation last year. Maybe he shows some flashes this year. And then... The, you know, one of the biggest roll roll of the dice uh, wild cards in the entire country is Chol Marial, um, who's been hampered significantly by by injury, but he is seven two. He, he does have that pedigree. Uh, if 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 the light bulb clicks, then Maryland's a completely different team. But I really wouldn't count on seeing you know former five star production there from uh, Mr. Marial. So, so here's, here's, here's a couple interesting questions for you. When you look at this roster, just the roster, 
and you compare it to Northwestern and Nebraska's roster, what stands out as you know fundamentally different from a talent standpoint? Uh, let's, let's bring up Northwestern first. I don't have an issue saying that Wiggins would be the best player of that group, although I think you have a case for Miller Cop for Northwestern. But like I think I think the Maryland brand is influenced because people don't love Turgeon as a game coach. I think Turgeon's better than Chris Collins, but I don't I don't think like look anyone who has optimism about Maryland is either like a Aquan Smart Stan or you know, they're they're being quite frankly unrealistic, I think. Right? I mean this roster is legitimately not very good. They have well, I, I think that they have position in the league. I think they have like five legit Big Ten starters. The 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 fit isn't there, and, and the lack of a point guard is damning. So is so is uh, Jarius Hamilton to you a legit Big Ten starter? Yes. See. I, See, I'm I'm less bullish on the guy. He ever he averaged nine and four for Boston College. Not a good Boston College team. He's kind of in and out of the he mostly started games, but he wasn't you know, he wasn't the he wasn't a wrecking ball by any means. I, I mean, I'm a big Dante Scott guy. I think he's gonna have a really nice year. I think he could average you know maybe eleven points and six and a half rebounds. Um, I think he's you know gonna shoot it eventually. Um, but again, I mean, I'm going to have him 11th because I don't really know what to do with these bottom four teams. But when you look up and down who they're going to have to play every night in the Big Ten, unless you're buying, you know, a Hakeem Hart or a Chol Marial or an Aquan Smart or a Marcus Dockery, this is the most bland roster I've seen. I mean, it's so bland. So... Comparing them to Purdue's roster, though, I think Purdue has more upside with their freshmen coming off the bench. I think Trevion Williams is the best player on either team. But I think it's possible that Maryland could have two through five. Rather, I think it's possible that... Yeah, I would say Hunter. Yeah, probably. You... You would take Hunter over all four of those Maryland guys, too? Yes. Or at least some of them? Yeah. I would take him over Wiggins, who I think you're saying is the best player. A little bounce back from Ayala, and then Hamilton and Marcel. Yeah. Okay. I do but like Smart, in, though. Watch Smart. Smart is going to be an impact guy as a freshman. But in terms of you know kind of the reasoning that you went with on Jarius Hamilton... Couldn't anyone bring that up for Northwestern and, and Nebraska's roster, though? Right, like the oh, oh, he only averaged nine points a game on a on a bad Boston College team. I mean, yes. Northwestern and, and Nebraska were, were both very bad last year. Yes, although Northwestern did twenty piece Boston College in Chestnut Hill. But I get your point. Yes, I get your point. 
I think my point is more so to separate Maryland as being part of the bottom four tier. It's like very clearly that the case instead of what people are like, oh, well, maybe they're a bubble team. I don't know. You know? I think I'm very confident on Maryland making if 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 there even is an IT, but yes, they're very NIT-ish. Okay, so I, I'll I'll give the rundown on Penn State. They're the the real uh, X factor here because of Pat Chambers' news. I think there was there was some appeal here based on the guards before Chambers was uh, resigned technically, um, but essentially run out of town due to allegations of player mistreatment. Uh, there was some upside here with the guards with, you know, Jamari Wheeler, point guard, again, that, in that you know, kind of glue guy point guard role, and a terrific, terrific guy in Myron Jones, as well as Miles Dredd and Isaiah Bronkington, who were productive on the wing. Uh, you were adding another guy who could potentially impact things on the wing in, in, in the backcourt with, with two really solid freshmen, Dion Johnson and DJ Gordon. Um, so there was there was the upside, really just kind of building around this backcourt, I think, was really where, where I would have been buying stock. And then they even added to that by getting a waiver for Sam Sessoms, uh, the Binghamton transfer, who is really that kind of bulldog point guard who loves to get to the rim and take tough shots, but he's definitely undersized. He's listed at six foot, but he's not six feet tall. Um, not, not I don't know if he could jump over a textbook, um, but the guy, you know, really, really tough, tough Philly kid at point guard. So I think, you know, they really appeal to the guards because they lose so much from that front court. A 2,000 point score in Lamar Stevens, a terrific rim protector in Mike Watkins. I've seen some people kind of arguing, oh, you know, you know, John Harrow was solid last year. He played 20 minutes a game. You know, maybe he'll take a, take a step up. But John Harrow is not Mike Watkins. Mike Watkins was a difference maker. Mike Watkins was a guy who blocked shots, who made, you know, a significant impact because of his ability you know, to protect the rim and then be a vertical spacer on offense because of his ability to catch lobs. And a, you know, John Hara, Abdu Simbilla front court rotation is probably, you know, one of the worst in the league right down there with the, with that Maryland group and with, you know, maybe the Nebraska's as well. I think Northwestern with Kyle Young, at least I think Kyle Young is better than John Hara. Um, then at the four, you're replacing again the 2,200 point score in Lamar Stevens with, you know, a breakout sophomore in Seth Lundy who was fine as a freshman, but not like earth shattering. So, I mean, you're, you're you're getting worse. You have a coach in Jim Ferry who couldn't crack it at the A10 level. Um, it's a it, it's tough for me to get behind this Penn State team, especially now that. Crazy, especially now that Chambers is gone, because I'm not sure that I was ever giving Chamber them a Chambers bump, but it's just one of those. Uh, it's a, it's a it's a question of how they're going to you know respond to that news and how they'll play without it. So one guy who you didn't mention who I like is uh, Caleb Dorsey, who I think could give them some small ball five minutes. I think Har- Harrow will be fine at center. Significant downgrade from from Watkins. Um, I think as a senior, he'll probably be good enough to not kill you. He'll certainly be their best option. Um, they're going to need a big breakout year from Seth Lundy, who's in, who was a smaller rotation guy last year. The, the, the backcourt is solid with that top four of Wheeler as a defender, Jones as their go-to scorer, Dredd as a shooter, and Brockington as this kind of versatile athletic piece. Um, 
and then I think Sam, Sam Sessoms can give them some some pop off the bench as well. Uh, but but overall, the talent level is just too too low to really make it a huge impact. You're going to need huge breakouts from Lundy and, and Har um, at at the four and the five to even be considered like an NIT type of team. I think this team is uh, probably even on the wrong side of the NIT bubble, even though that there are some pretty solid pieces here. Um, it's just so, so, such a shame because they were so good last year and, you know, have the tournament canceled on them with uh, – uh, I was gonna say Jim, Jim Christian, but uh, Pat, Pat Chambers, you know, never make me as a tournament. Um, that's the just... coronavirus had to step in when he saw that Pat Chambers was getting to dance. You know? Between that and Rutgers, yes, uh, they're like, all right, this is too weird. We got to do this. Um, watch, watch Rutgers flop this year too. But yeah, the the the, the back court is good. The front court is bad. Overall, not enough talent to really out elevate them into the relevant portion of the conference. I think you got to really, really, really be buying um, Myron Jones if you're buying Penn State at all. I think you got to be buying him as, like, one of the best players in the country. Nebraska, you have 14. I have have 13. Maybe I was trying to overcompensate and avoid, um, avoid the... Um, label of a homer with Northwestern. I moved up Nebraska once Trey McGowan's got that waiver to play right away. I just felt like he gave them another another guy in the backcourt who's been, you know, been around, average eleven points a game at Pitt. You know, they can pair him with Kobe Webster. They can even play him a little bit of point guard. I think that will that will be in the mix. He's not really a true point guard, but I think they want to do it. They have a really, really impactful scorer coming in in Teddy Allen from JUCO, who, yes, he's a roll of the dice. Yes, he'll, you know, probably do something dumb. But yes, he's also incredibly, you know, incredibly gifted as a scorer. And we've talked about him a couple of times in this podcast in the offseason. I think he will be one of the, you know, I think he'll probably be the most impactful Juco player in the country this season. They get better, I think, at the front court by getting, you know, a year older for Giovanni Drago. Um, he was a guy who um, I thought had some nice moments, honestly, as a, as a freshman. I really was not high on him coming in from the front. French uh, FIBA inter- interactions he's had. He averaged six and six. Yes, he needs to improve as a free throw shooter. Yes, he needs to improve around the basket. No, he didn't bring you much as a shot blocker, but he was serviceable up front, and they can pair him with Derek Walker. I think the real key with this group is a you know continued transition towards a you know small 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 ball. Right, you're going to have a guy in Delano Bantz who can really play four positions at six foot eight. You're going to have um, Lat Mayan at 6'9", who I think they will see, you see in a number of different positions. You can really, really space the floor. Shamil Stevenson is a good small ball, small ball four, six, six, six bowling ball type foreman. Um, Allen can play multiple positions. So, so they're starting to get the roster that I think Hoiberg wants. Um, it is it enough? I don't know, but I think I think the one thing I will say is after these deeper dives on the Maryland roster. And on the Penn State roster, the idea that Nebraska could finish, you know, eleven is not certainly not out of the question. Absolutely, I mean they have three really really good players. Right, you have Teddy Allen, who we, who we know he can score. He could score in the Big Twelve, right? Uh, on uh, West Virginia, he'll, he'll be he'll be able to score here. Trey McGowan's 
super talented scorer as well from his time at Pitt. Banton is a a great um, passer and play the three or four spots. I think he'll he'll fit in well with the ball dominant McGowan's and Allen. I, I think Webster will be a solid piece off the bench. Thor, Thorpe Johnson averaged, I think, like eight or nine points a game last year. He'll be solid off the bench. A lot of people like Lat Mayen. Maybe he starts at the four. Maybe Shamil Stevenson does. Stevenson had had some moments at Pitt, but at the end of the day was kind of uh, pushed out by Capel. I I think the the uh, front court is interesting. Derek Walker's a guy who was consistently in, in the rotation for Tennessee, but they had two NBA players in front of them with Grant Williams and Kyle Alexander. Um, so he was down to like five or six minutes a game. So we'll really get to see what what, what he's really able to do. Uh, him and U- Ui Drago are kind of the same mold, like these big physical um, kind of undersized centers, but they're you know strong and wide and everything. Uh, so 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 that'll be interesting. Or if they go smaller and maybe play Stevenson at the five and slide down Allen, uh, get a little more scoring on the court. A little more quickness, um, but overall, w- with this roster being such kind of patchwork um, and the shaky front court, I think Nebraska for me is uh, still going to be in last. I mean, they, they were 160th last year. I think that they'll get closer to top 100, but I think that's still still last place. I will say, from the beginning, I've had some questions about Hoiberg. Act two, now that everyone's doing what he was doing at uh, Iowa State. Um, I've compared it very a lot to Chip Kelly at UCLA uh, in football. Uh, if anyone is a college football fan, they understand the reference. Uh, we'll see. This is, this is a very important year, I think, for them to at least show some progress. And finally, another team that it's an important year to show progress for Northwestern, coming off back-to-back last-place finishes in the Big Ten, the bottom dropped out with an 8-23 season. It's hard to imagine that three years ago this team was coming up in a subway tournament bid and people picking to be a second weekend caliber team, but here we are. Again, I, I, I want to say this. Northwestern was not a great basketball team by any means. They weren't even a good basketball team by most measures, but they were 30 spots better in Ken Palm than Nebraska. And quite frankly, a lot of times last year looked very competent. This is a team that, you know, played, you know, led by, I believe, eight with four minutes to go against Purdue, led by 15 in the second half against Rutgers. Um, they had a game against DePaul that they led big in the second half and lost. They blew, they absolutely choked away a game um, against Indiana, where they were up, I think, five at the under four media timeout left in the game. They pushed Michigan State. and But then they also was the same team that lost three bye games, right? Like, this is a very different conversation we're having about Northwestern right now. If they beat Merrimack, Radford, Hartford, and then they win those three Big Ten games, uh, the Indiana, Purdue, and uh, Rutgers games that they just handed handed away. Because then you're saying, okay, this is a team that went 14 and 17, finished probably close to top 100 in Ken Palm, um, and brings back virtually everyone. You have breakout candidate point guard Boo Booey, breakout candidate forward Robbie Barron, you know, really solid guy in Miller Cop who had the big year last season. Ryan Young was really solid. You're bringing the transfer in Chase Adige. You know, 
you're bringing in a good freshman in Tyberry, you're saying, okay, well, maybe there's something to like. Instead, it's just, it's a slog to, to kind of frame out. And again, I do think there's upside here. Bowie was incredible uh, when he was good. Bowie had a game against Michigan State where when he put up 25, he had another game the next night against, or the next, next, next showdown against DePaul where he also had 25. He's a dynamic, you know, scorer. He loves to make plays and pick and roll. They need him to be that type of guy this season. Next to Cop, I like Audige a lot. I think he's going to be an impactful guy. Average, you know, eight points a game on the wing. Um, they also, you know, Barron is a guy who showed flashes, moves really, really well at six nine. Young was one of the one of the one of the only freshmen in the French freshman bigs in the country to average uh, nine points and six rebounds as a freshman. Um, and I think when you compare him, say, to like Uli Drago from Nebraska, I think there's no question that Young was the better guy. So are there pieces here? Yeah, absolutely. Is it enough? I've just been so disappointed the last few years by Chris Collins that it's it's really hard. Really, really hard. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll de- defer to you, the uh, nor- the Northwestern expert, but uh, you didn't mention the uh, Providence debacle. Oh yeah, which which was one of the ugliest games I've ever seen. I was I was in full meltdown mode. Northwestern won, but it, it was it was ugly on uh, their end as well. And remember, there was like that twenty minute delay where the Manager was trying to fix the net and he couldn't do it. Like the announcers were making fun of him and just from a top to bottom. Northwestern started that game well, like defensively, and they made some plays offensively. And then it was just horrible in the it, it was horrible in the second half. Northwestern was like clinging on for dear life. But that was that was Northwestern. Northwestern had some games where like all right, okay. Northwestern beat Bradley by 30 on a neutral and looked really good in that game. And then the next day turned around against per two days later, uh, turned around against Pittsburgh and looked awful. And they turned around and blew out Boston college and looked really good doing it. Then they couldn't score 45 points against Purdue the next time out. Right. Then they pushed Michigan state at home, then turned around, a, you know, a month later and lost by 30 to Michigan state. This was just an inconsistent team. They had some really nice stretches. They have, you know, a few things really going for them in terms of some of these young players, but they have a lot of work to do uh, to really move up the ladder here in this conference. And that's just bad teams, right? Bad teams, the fans remember every every time they were close. <clears throat> oh, if, if, if we flip these three results around, we could have been an NIT at-large at team. Um, and then when your, your team experiences a little uh, success, you 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 finally look back at those times of just how how ridiculous that that we're flipping like six seven results and we have a new season. <laughs> yes, but it is amazing. I mean, Chris, it, if like what would what would be the perception of Northwestern if they went fourteen and seventeen in a true rebuilding season and were running it back? I think probably the same, just because. Like, I think what you're describing is kind of like Boston College, where they won a bunch of ACC games, or even like Virginia Tech. Yeah, I mean, I guess my only argument with the league, the league is a lot better. Yes, it is. BC was able not... to do that because the league stunk. 
That's 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 not the perception though. That's true. I think even from like a, a national college basketball fan, they might say the Big Ten is better, but they don't see, see the, the the chasm that it was last year. That's true. All right, big picture on the league. I think they can get ten bits. Me too. As long as Gosh gets the waiver, then then I'll take Minnesota. Yeah. Um, Number ten. Coaching wise, you figure Turgeon's got at least another two years, even if this year stinks. Underwood ain't going anywhere. Holtman's not going anywhere. Fran McCaffrey, maybe if they disappoint this year, then feels it a little next year. Um, Penn State's going to be doing a search. Peichel's not going anywhere. Juwan's looking at NBA jobs, but probably not going anywhere for the next two years or so. Matt Painter's not going anywhere. Archie is probably the name to watch. Archie and Rich Patino, I think, are the names. I think Collins is the X Factor with a really long contract. And, um, you know, I don't think a, a huge urge to make a move right now, but it could be forced on them if they stick again. All right. Before my phone dies, you're my. Seven candidates for Penn State. You got your obligatory uh, Rick Rick Pitino and John Beeline. I think we have a threesome of proven guys here with James Jones from Yale. They had a lot of success. They've they've had top fifty ish Ken Palm teams. They've got pros, you know, pro caliber guys going to Yale. Um, familiar with recruiting against. T- you know, tough conditions. Uh, Brian Wardle, who's done a good job at both Green Bay and, and, and Bradley, tur- yep. turning both those programs around with that Midwest uh, Midwest uh, footprint there. Uh, John Becker from Vermont has Vermont rolling. Um, and then t- two kind of wild card types. Uh, Michael Huger, um, who's done a good job at Bowling Green, just got their best player to come back despite having numerous high major suitors and Justin Turner. Um, they'd uh, damage a Wiggins, who, who was a very strong player as well. Um, he's, he's steadily improved each year at Bowling Green. And then a deep sleeper would be Luke Yaklich. We're like kind of similar to the Laval Jordan at Butler, right? Where he had the one year at Milwaukee and then got the bump up to Butler where if if you wanted a sitting assistant, he was maybe the hottest name, so you wouldn't necessarily think poorly if he was as middling at UIC this year. Um, I know in your Horizon preview, you had UIC second, I think, but I did. Um, you know, even if he go is like sixth, sixth or seventh in the league with his pedigree, experience at a uh, Michigan, um, and he. He's already been able to attract some talent to UIC. I think that could be a deep sleeper uh, because we have to keep in mind, reportedly, um, Pat Chambers only made $900,000, which is about the same as like what David Cox was making at URI. So I'm sure Cox wouldn't really want to jump at that. So um, that's that's a really key piece of information there. Yeah. I had, I had two other names, uh, Dane Fife and Saudi Washington, two really big name assistant coaches in the conference who can really recruit. Dane Fife is head coaching experience. Saudi Washington turned down Western Michigan to try to shoot higher this offseason. Um, so I think those could be those could be names as well. 
I'll run through my Big Ten. I I, I have a Big Ten preseason uh, ballot and postseason ballot this season. Uh, thanks to Ray O'Connell, the Northwestern SID, for hooking me up with one of the Northwestern ballots. Uh, I rewarded him by not ranking a Northwestern player in the top 10. There is no preseason ballot of teams. It is just the 10 players in the player of the year. My 10 players were Marcus Carr, Ayer Sunmu, Aaron Henry, Joe Wieskamp, Ron Harper, uh, Franz Wagner, Micah Potter, Trace Jackson Davis, Trevion Williams, and Luca Garza. I chose Garza as my player of the year. That's really the only the only one that you can pick without being a, a contrarian at this point. So. Anything else for the Big Ten? I think we covered. So next week we have a little AAC plus A10 plus Gonzaga plus any interesting mid-majors. And then we have a couple of, a couple of kind of weeks where we can decide what to do before the season starts. Yeah, I might have some guests on in that period. Lots of exciting stuff. 23 days, folks.